Welcome today to The Bridge Online. We're so grateful that you've joined us. If this is your very first time, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Today we're going to be talking about confident assurance before God in our First John series. And today, First John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Wilfredo Garza was born in Mexico City, and then for 35 years he crossed the U.S. border to find work. And some days he was able to work, some days not. Four times he was caught by the border patrol and returned to Mexico. Each time he swam back across the Rio Grande River to enter Texas so that he could work. One day, Wilfredo got the courage to walk into an immigration lawyer's office to, to seek help. To his great surprise, he discovered that his father had actually been born in Brownsville, Texas, and had worked there. This meant that, Al, that Wilfredo's dad was a U.S. citizen. And as he discovered in talking with this attorney, it also meant that Wilfredo was a U.S. citizen. All those years, he didn't know it. All those years, he had a U.S. citizenship with all the rights and privileges, but he didn't know it. He didn't need to sneak across the U.S. border to find work. He could just walk in the front gate whenever he wanted to. None of us become citizens of heaven just because our parents uh, are citizens of heaven already. Every person enters God's family and gains citizenship in heaven by a personal faith in Jesus Christ. But sometimes there are genuine followers of Christ who for some reason they lose contact with Christ in their relationship. They lose their bearings. They never get grounded or discipled in their walk with Christ. And they don't really understand or they don't really know for sure that they are indeed citizens of heaven. The Apostle John wants people to know, wants Christ followers to know for sure about their citizenship in heaven and that it's eternal. And that's why he writes 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. Um, today we're talking about confidence, assurance before God. And first of all, we begin with confident assurance about salvation. And uh, here's what he writes in verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. We begin with the who. Who is John talking to here? Uh, John writes, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He's writing to genuine Christ followers, believers in Christ, real Christians. Um, remember when, when we talk about believing in the name of Christ, when we, when we use the, the concept of name, it's not just a name that you call that person, but it's a name that stands for this person's character, this person's reputation. And Jesus' name stands for all that he is. 
And all that he has done, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. Question for us, how about you? Are you someone who has believed in the name of God's Son? We come to the what in verse 13, and the what is so that you may know that you have eternal life. Um, it's about eternal life. John wants his readers to have a certainty about their relationship with God. He doesn't want them to be in doubt or have fear about it. Growing up, I went to a church that taught me many good things about the Bible. I learned the Ten Commandments. I memorized the Lord's Prayer uh, and the Apostles' Creed, and I could recite those in public worship. I was taught to believe in the Apostles' Creed and to be a good person and to go to church and to be sure that I was baptized and, and, to, and to participate in communion. But at the best, I could only hope maybe God would accept me. As if God graded on a curve somehow. That some days it might be a good day and some days not so good. And I was told that those who had this certainty or this confidence or those people who said they knew for sure that they were going to heaven were somehow prideful. And the truth is, I didn't find a relationship with Jesus during those years uh, when I attended that church. In verse 13 is the why. I write these things, verse 13, to you who believe on the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Um, this is John's purpose. God wants us to know that we have eternal life. He doesn't want us to worry about it. He doesn't want us to be fearful. Um, he wants us to be confident. He wants us to have assurance about this. Do you have that assurance? I hope you do. Uh, one of the very best passages, we talked about it last week, and I just want to mention the reference, John chapter 5 and verse 24. I would encourage you to look that up and see what Jesus promised us. Um, so not only does God want us to have confident assurance about our salvation, but he also wants us to have confident assurance about answered prayer. And let me read verses 14 and 15 in uh, John, 1 John chapter uh, 5. And here's what John writes. He says, this is the confidence. So there we have that confidence again. We have an approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. So that's um, our section here about confident assurance about answered prayer. I love the quote by Phil Yancey, and he writes these words. He says, if prayer stands at the place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. Prayer is this location where we have this connection with God. And 
He's, and, and, and I love what he writes. He says, I must learn about this. He says, most of my struggles in the Christian life circle around the same two thing, themes. Why doesn't God act the way we want God to? Why doesn't God fix things the way I think they should be fixed? Um, I could do things differently. Sometimes maybe I could do things better. And then on the other hand, why don't I act the way God wants me to? Because I don't always follow through. I don't always do what I know God wants me to do. And then he says prayer is the precise point where these themes converge. It's about our relationship with God. We start with the confidence issue in prayer uh, in verse 14. The confidence. First uh, John 5.14 says, This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Um, God wants us to have confidence in approaching Him in prayer. He wants us to trust Him. He wants us to have courage. He wants us to be bold. And having confidence with God has been a very important theme in 1 John. And I just kind of want to remind you, because it, it's kind of easy to overlook. Um, first, we start with 1 John 2.28. 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And John writes, And now, dear children, continue in Him so that when He appears, we may be confident, there it is, that word, and unashamed before his, Him at His coming. God wants us to be confident about meeting Jesus when he returns. He doesn't want us to, to be ashamed. Uh, where do we get this confidence? And, and John says right here, to continue in him. And that's a key concept we've seen throughout the book of 1 John, a key concept in the gospel of John. It's about the vine and the branches. It's about remaining in Christ, and it's about abiding in Christ, because that's where our life and our health come from. Another passage is 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, and John writes, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and, and receive from Him anything we ask, because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. Um, sometimes our hearts condemn us. And we lose this confidence with God. Sin interrupts my relationship with God. And I often feel embarrassed or ashamed before God. I, I, I'm, I'm not comfortable to go before God. Sin affects our prayer life. And we can have confidence if we continue in Him. If we remain in Christ day by day. And here, John marks out a condition for answered prayer in verse 22. He says, uh, and we can receive anything from him we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. It's about our obedience. Our obedience has a tremendous impact on our prayer life and on how God answers prayer for us. 
Andrew Murray wrote a classic book in 1899, and it's entitled With Christ in the School of Prayer. And here's what he says. He says, the effective prayer of faith comes from a life given up to the will and love of God. It's about submission to Christ and his, his priorities and his, his desires and his kingdom. Not as a result of what I try to be when praying, but because of what I am when I'm not praying is my prayer answered by God. It's not about me uh, uh, impressing God with my, my words or my tone of voice or my, or my attitude. It's, it's about the life that a person brings to God. Um, a life committed and submitted to following Jesus Christ. And this is what gives us confidence before God. Now, we're still talking about confidence before God. The next passage is 1 John chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. And John writes, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. This is one, another thing that John wants us to know. God is love. Remember, that's, that's his nature. Love is not God, but God is love. It's in his very nature. And whoever lives in love, the kind of love that God has, agape love, lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In, in this world, we are like Jesus, meaning as, as we walk with Christ and as we uh, love people in God's power, then we become more and more like Jesus. And uh, this, this is how we can have confidence before God, according to John, as, as we uh, love other people, God's love flowing through us to other believers, to our family, uh, to our neighbors in need, to our co-workers who maybe don't know Jesus yet. Also, when it comes to confidence before God, um, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 uh, through 16, uh, really sums up the purpose of this confidence. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into the heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. So this Jesus uh, who is our mediator, who has gone before us, who, who died for us. Um, he's our great high priest. He, he stands before God on our behalf. Uh, and then the next slide. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace. With confidence. There it is. God wants us to come before Him with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus has purchased our right to be confident before God. His impeccable life as our high priest 
Um, he, he stands before God in, in, on our behalf. And because of his sacrificial death for sin, our sin penalty has been paid for because of him. So now we can approach God uh, in, in our time of need. And we all have times of need. Uh, some needs are greater than others. Some uh, are hurts and some are pains and some are about relationships. And God wants us to come confidently to receive mercy when we need it and to find grace. That's about having God's favor, having God on our team, uh, working with us and for us to help us, to help us in our needs that we bring to him. But we must come boldly and we must ask. And that's what verse 14 is about, the ask. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, the, the apostle continues. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's the condition. We are to ask. And it must be according to God's will. So what does that mean? What is God's will for your life? I can think of several things that I know for sure about God's will for my life. Um, David the psalmist in Psalm 66, verse 17 through 19, writes these words. And he He's talking about prayer here. He says, I cried out to him. I cried out to God with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. And notice what he says in verse 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. There's one of the conditions. If I had cherished sin in my, in my heart, if I, if I loved this secret sin that I tried to keep from God or I tried to keep from other people, he said, that would have been a hindrance. That would have, that would have blocked uh, my relationship with God. And uh, God wouldn't listen to my prayer. Another hindrance to, to my prayer life is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And Peter writes, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs, as, as equals, with you of the gracious gift of life, the gift of eternal life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Um, man, the way we treat our wives really impacts our prayer lives. Um, if, if, I'm, um, if I treat my wife in a harsh and unkind way, God doesn't hear. It, it puts up a roadblock between me and God. And sometimes I am harsh and unkind in my speech with my wife, Sue. And I need to apologize and ask for forgiveness uh, quickly. I need short accounts with God and I need short accounts with the people in my world. So what is God's will for my life? Well, another passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. Let's have a look at that. 
It is God's will. So we know this is for all of us. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That is to, to be set apart for God, to be made holy. That you should avoid sexual immorality. To abstain from sexual immorality. And sexual immorality is about having a sexual relationship of any kind outside of marriage. So a premarital sexual relationship would be sexual immorality. A same-sex sexual relationship would be sexual immorality. Uh, a sexual relationship between adults who are married but not to the person they're having the relationship. That would be sexual immorality. It's called adultery. People who have been married before but aren't married to each other and they have a sexual relationship, that's called sexual immorality. And it's God's will that I not go there. That each of you, as Christ's followers, should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans, like, like the rest of the world who don't, who don't know God. You can expect people who don't know God and have a relationship with Him and don't have a value for Scripture. You can expect them not to care. But if we're Christ followers, this is really important. The next slide. And that is the matter that no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Sometimes I think Christians think because well, I'm having a consensual relationship with the other person that is somehow okay. And from God's perspective, it's not okay. Um, it's about dishonoring a brother or sister in Christ, even if it seems consensual to them. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we uh, told you and warned you before, for God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. So what's God's will for our lives? To abstain from sexual immorality. And we can put pornography in there too. Um, what's God's will for our lives? Sexual immorality has a huge impact on your prayer life because God is not going to listen when we are disregarding uh, what he has spoken to us. What's God's will for my life? Now the passage is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Apostle Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, looking back over the whole book of Romans, in view of God's mercy on how he uh, loved you and saved you, from your own sin. See, Jesus died for you. That's what Romans chapter 1 verses uh, Romans chapter 1 through 11 is all about. Now that Jesus has given his life for you, you give your life back to God. It's an exchange. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship about revelation and response. And this is a response back to God is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And then in verse 2, Paul writes, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't let the pattern of our world shape you. 
and become more and more and have the same values as the world we live in. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. So, to summarize, it's about giving yourself totally to God and to stop conforming to this world. Don't let it shape you. Be in the world, but not of the world, as Jesus instructed us. To be able to attest, to test and approve what God's will is. How do we know how to do that? Well, if we are submitted to the Lordship of Christ, offering ourselves totally to God, and if we are seeking to follow after Christ, we can pray and seek God's direction. I just think of a, an example of seeking God's direction in, in our own lives. Back in 2008, we, we asked God to give us direction. Actually, it was 2007. At the end of the year, we were asking God to give us direction about our next step. And we were given an opportunity to come to, to Eau Claire where there was no evangelical free church and would we want to plant a church? And we prayed about that very seriously. And we ultimately made a decision to come. And there were so many things that we didn't know, uh, things that we didn't know that we needed to do, uh, things that we didn't know that were going to happen, and there were no promises that there would be a church today. But we prayed, and God gave us direction uh, to come. So what else? Well, another passage is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. What is God's will for our lives? If we're going to pray according to God's will, here's what we need to know. Rejoice always, that is to pursue joy, pray continually as a way of life, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God wants us to be thankful in our circumstances today. If, if, if we have complaints, we should take them to God. And God wants us to learn to have the discipline of a thankful heart. Um, it's God's will for you. And being thankful is going to have an impact on your prayer life. I love the quote from Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom um, was uh, a lady who authored some books, but she was a Christian during the Holocaust in a, in a prison camp uh, where the Jew Jewish people were put to death. And uh, she was a, a woman of prayer. And, and she, she asked this question, I think it's kind of fascinating, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Steering wheel or spare tire? And I think she's asking, is prayer something that you use to guide your life in your relationship with God? Or is prayer something you turn to when you're in big trouble, when you face an emergency, and it's not the normal part of your life? Is prayer your steering wheel 
or is it your spare tire? God wants to be directing our lives and to be in relationship through prayer on a daily basis. Uh, the last passage about God's will is 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. This may surprise you. Peter writes, So then those who suffer according to God's will. Is it God's will to suffer? It's pretty clear here. God is going to expect some of us to be suffering. So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Um, sometimes people suffer according to God's will. It's easy just to look at the scriptures and see it. For example, Jesus suffered according to God's will. Um, he suffered greatly, painfully, and he knew it was coming. The disciples suffered physically and emotionally, and uh, 11 of the 12 uh, were executed because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Stephen was, um, was executed because of his Christian faith. The Apostle Paul was put to death because of his faith. Are you okay with that? That it's possible to suffer according to God's will? And that means that some prayers don't get answered the way we would uh, desire them to be answered? Um, Sue and I spent some time talking about this. For example, what if I were to die of COVID-19. What if I were to get COVID and then ultimately die? Is that possible? And be in God's will? And the answer is yes. God can work good out of any situation. Um, what if Sue, my wife, got terminal cancer and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed for God to bring healing. And he didn't. Is that possible? Yes. Is it possible we could say it happened in God's will? I think the answer is yes. And God, I don't always understand those answers. But God can work good in any situation. Um. The last verse is verse 15, and we talk about the, the assurance. It's about the assurance of answered prayer. And we come to verse 15, and John writes, And we know that he hears us whatever we ask. We know that we have what we ask of him. Whatever we ask of him. So what are the conditions for answered prayer? Uh, if we are to get whatever we ask. Well, we already know that sin really messes up our prayer lives. And maybe it messes us up a whole lot more than we know or think. Um, just to remind us, 
again, about some conditions for answered prayer. Let's look at John 15, 5, because here is the great metaphor that John uses, and it really applies to all of his writing. And he uses this metaphor of the vine and the branches. He says, I am the vine. This is Jesus. And you, speaking to his disciples, and now applying it to us as Christ followers, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, uh, Jesus is saying that our daily spiritual life and strength come from Him. He is where we get our spiritual health, our spiritual nourishment. And if we are not connected to Him, there is no spiritual growth and no spiritual nourishment. And there is no other way to receive any spiritual nourishment. Um, he provides all of our growth. And apart from Him, we can do nothing. Apart from Him, there is no growth, no uh, fruit in, or results in ministry. And this has a huge impact on our prayer lives. John 15, verses 7 and 8. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, this, this, this remaining, this abiding, this close relationship, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The goal here is to bring honor to God, to bring glory to God, to shine the spotlight on Him and advancing the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus' life was all about. And um, when we pray, and when our prayers um, bring focus to God and advance His kingdom, um, Jesus promises to answer our prayers. John 14, 13 is our next passage and Jesus says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Very similar idea. But he says, oh, you need to ask in my name. Jesus' name is about his credentials, his reputation, his work. Um, is our prayer consistent with the values of the kingdom of God? When we pray for a life without problems and a life without pain and a life without struggle, a life without sacrifice, when we pray for a life of comfort, it's not anything like Jesus or anything that he talked about in his kingdom as we seek to advance it before he comes. Bottom line for us, Jesus is our model. Here's a, here's, a, here's a model for us of prayer. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 39. Now this, this takes place on the night before his crucifixion when he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he's feeling the tremendous pressure of what is to come. He knows he's going to be arrested. He knows he's going to be beaten. 
he knows he's going to be tried and, and, and he's going to be spit upon. He's going to have a crown of thorns. Ultimately, he's going to be nailed to a cross. And he says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. May the suffering that I'm going to face, may, may you take it away. And then he says, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he offers himself, he offers his body in total submission to God. And he did suffer. And he died a painful death in the will of God. And so bottom line for us is, can we ultimately submit our lives um, to the will of Christ? Will we let God be God? Will we choose to follow Christ even if He doesn't answer our prayers the way we want Him to? And one of the big, biggest problems I think of, and I think it's easy for my own life, when I think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where um, Solomon says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. And I think that's so easy for us to do is to start to think about our circumstances and our situation, and we try to figure it out, and we come up with our own logic, our own reasoning, our own rationale, and somehow we don't want to go God's direction. Personally, I believe that if I walk closely with Christ, and if I align my heart with His, under His Lordship, God often places things in my heart to pray for. Things that He wants to accomplish. And when God answers my prayer that advances His kingdom, I find great joy in that. Lasting joy. And it makes it all worth it. When I put God's kingdom first, and when I put my kingdom second, He always provides for what I need and for what His church needs. Not my will. Not my wants. But your will, O oh God. Um, so, is prayer your steering wheel, or is it your spare tire? Is prayer something you just go to God for when you have a problem? Or is it about asking God to guide your life, provide for your life, uh, to give you wisdom in making decisions, to trust Him day by day. It's my prayer that God will guide us day by day through our daily lives. Now before we go, here's, here's some suggested homework for you. Parents, take some time to talk as a family. Um, talk about the assurance of salvation with your family members. A great passage to look at is the first John 5, 11, uh, that's last week, 11, 12, and 13. Uh, great passages to look at. And help your family understand how they can have confidence before God with their salvation. Secondly, talk as a family about prayer. 
What does it mean, for example, to pray in Jesus' name? Or what does it mean to pray according to God's will? And after you've had a chance to talk about that, let each person uh, come up with one request that they have that they want to ask God for. And then just take some time to pray as a family. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, I just uh, thank you for the privilege of prayer and to learn about prayer. Thank you that you've revealed so much in your words so that we can continually learn about prayer and learning to walk with you day by day. And God, it's my prayer that each of us would make prayer more of our steering wheel and less of our spare tire. Thank you for all that Jesus has done for us and that we can come boldly to you because of Jesus where we can find mercy and grace in our time of need. I do pray, God, for assurance of salvation for every person listening today. I pray, God, that we may have assurance about coming to you and trusting you with all of our prayers. In Jesus' powerful name, I do pray. Amen. 